Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathy Marini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. July 20th marks another black anniversary of Turkey's invasion of Cyprus in 1974. 49 years later, the northern part of Cyprus remains illegally occupied. President Nikos Christodoulidis recently expressed cautious optimism about efforts to resume talks, however, and Turkey's desire to re-engage with the EU, as President Erdogan suggested at the NATO summit, puts the focus back on Cyprus. Andy Zemanidis, the executive director of the Hellenic American Leadership Council, joins me to break down whether there is space for peace talks to be revived and look at what role the UN, EU, and the U.S. can play. Andy, great to have you back on with us. Hey, Tano. Andy, as we reflect on the 49th anniversary of Turkey's invasion of Cyprus, it seems that there is an effort afoot to get reunification talks back on track. And President Christodoulidis even expressed cautious optimism over these efforts. Do you share his optimism? Well, I'm more on the cautious side than the optimistic one. And, you know, I would like for, for everyone to recall, again, you pointed out it's 49 years later, seeing that Turkey uses the same pretext and the same playbook that Russia did in Ukraine. Actually, Russia is really following Turkey's playbook in Cyprus. It's tragic that the world has not reacted to the lasting injustice in Cyprus the way it has rightfully reacted to what Russia is doing in Ukraine. But uh, having said all that, there is some positive backdrop for talks to resume. On the one hand, there is an economic imperative for Turkey and Turkish Cypriots. The Eastern Mediterranean energy was always considered a significant incentive in reunification talks. These energy resources have become even more important given Russia's war against Ukraine and the need for alternatives to Russian gas. The energy equation in the Eastern Mediterranean now has a significant green energy component with interconnectors. And clearly, the region's not waiting for Turkey. So Turkey thought it could be a spoiler. They still threaten force. It That equation becomes harder for them as every day passes with Exxon in there, with Chevron, with Total, uh, the French, the Israelis, the Egyptians all have a real incentive for this to go forward. So the Turkey can't just stop it by bullying Cyprus and bullying Greece. Turkish Cypriots want to share in the spoils. Of course, uh, the Republic of Cyprus has long made it clear that they're going to set aside in a sovereign wealth fund profits for their Turkish Cypriot brethren when they want to return to the Republic of Cyprus. So this economic imperative is very clear. There's also the EU imperative. Turkey wants further relations with the EU. How are they going to get them when Cyprus has a veto in the EU? That's not clear. There's political backdrop. There are no elections right now in Cyprus, in Greece, or Turkey for the foreseeable future. You have Turkish president, the Cypriot president, and a Greek prime minister at the beginning of their term. So they have a little more political leeway than if it were right next to elections. And kind of from the U.S. and EU standpoint, they want to have stability in this region as they're dealing with great power challenges from Russia and from China. So that's the positive backdrop. The negative, Turkey is still in transition. Turkey has been violating not only consistently in terms of keeping its occupation going, 
but expands its violations of UN Security Council resolutions with the steady drip, drip, drip opening of Varosha. Turkey constantly says that they don't recognize the UN Security Council resolutions as a basis for a resolution or a solution, but they want to go to a two-state type of solution. So again, it takes two to tango. And while everybody else seems like they want a deal, Turkey wants to be a hardliner. I want to turn us to the United Nations. In a written statement last week, the UN Security Council reiterated its support for a bizonal by communal federation and said that recent elections presented a window of opportunity. Is there a role for the UN here that can go beyond statements? Absolutely, and they're not really playing it. Partly, they, more than anybody, seems to want to play equidistant, i.e. that's just bad officials, bad leadership, particularly the head of the UN peacekeeping force right now, Colin Stewart, who just seems to outclown himself every time he does something on Cyprus. But the UN Security Council also said that it may be time for a special envoy on Cyprus. So that's a very useful first step, is that special envoy, somebody who's going to really try to get things going. The UN also has to put its teeth into its condemnation of Turkey's opening of Varosha. If there are no consequences at all for uh, violating and expanding the violations of UN Security Council resolutions, we're not going to get to any substantial progress. As we saw last week, Andy, at the NATO summit, Erdogan appears to be signaling that he wants to re-engage with the West, particularly the European Union. Where does Cyprus fit in this equation? Is Turkey's path to engagement with the EU going to have to pass through Nicosia? Absolutely. Cyprus is front and center in this one. This is, uh, you know, in NATO, Cyprus is not a NATO member, didn't have a veto, couldn't play this, uh, play that type of card. But Cyprus can prevent any progress in EU-Turkey relations. In fact, it shouldn't have to get to that part. The EU itself should make it clear to Turkey, you want these relations, you're going to have to get to the point where you're not blockading. Turkey blockades Cyprus, uh, closes its ports and airports and its airspace to Cyprus. It does not recognize the Republic of Cyprus. So this is a minimum show of good faith from Turkey. It's astounding to me that they can even discuss any further progress to the EU when they don't recognize one of the veto holders. So Cyprus has a big card to play here. And frankly, it's going to have the support of our advocacy community, the Greek Americans and the allies of Greece and Cyprus in the United States, because this is, it's really an absurd proposition that Turkey should have any access to a customs union or to EU membership when it refuses to recognize a member of the EU. For many in Washington, it seems that the focus has been on getting Greece and Turkey to sit and hold talks. And Prime Minister Mitsotakis has announced a bold agenda, you know, something that we've covered on this show. Is this now also the ideal moment and opportunity for Washington to use its diplomatic capital to press Ankara to engage on the Cyprus issue as well? Absolutely. Hopefully the U.S. understands this because there might be people who think that, you know, leave Cyprus for later. But let's take a bold agenda. You can't even start anything really on energy unless you have Cyprus going. Turkey, for example, wants to be part of the East Med gas forum. 
And I'm sure there are officials in Washington that would like to hold that out for them as an incentive. But that's not Greece's decision alone. And I don't think the Mitsotakis government would disregard Cyprus. And again, Cyprus has its own veto there as well. When Joe Biden was a senator about to become vice president of the United States, he had an interview with Tommy Ellis in the pages of Katimerini, and he said the U.S. must make it absolutely clear to Turkey that our relations will be affected from how the Cyprus issue will be resolved. That is, the complete withdrawal of Turkey, and from the manner in which the differences between Greece and Turkey and the Aegean will be resolved. Of course, as vice president, there wasn't a lot of teeth to that promise. Everybody gave him the out that you know, he was vice president, not president. He was working for someone else. Now he's president. He has to remember those words. There cannot be any official, any, that can remain under the illusion that maybe they can, you know, compartmentalize Greece and Turkey talks over here and ignore Cyprus. That's not something that even with the strong mandate that he has, Prime Minister Mitsotakis could handle politically. It wouldn't be politically acceptable for him. I don't think that's where he's at. That's not where his worldview is at. And again, Cyprus has its own leverage in terms of vetoes in the EU and the East Med gas form. And certainly the Greek-American community and our allies on Capitol Hill won't stand for it. For many in the West, Andy, it seems that Cyprus may simply be a frozen conflict that needs to be quote-unquote managed. Why is this the wrong approach and what's ultimately at risk for the West if Turkey's illegal occupation of Cyprus continues? Well, if it continues, Turkey can't be just won't be a constructive part of the growing collaboration in the Eastern Mediterranean. Besides Cyprus's veto power, I'm not sure that anybody wants to sacrifice their relations with Nicosia and Athens for the sake of Erdogan. Not Egypt. Egypt probably has bigger problems with Turkey than Cyprus even does. So this is the road to peace and the road to full collaboration in the Eastern Mediterranean goes through Nicosia. And let's remember, this all started with kind of an energy cooperation between Cyprus and Israel, and then expanded to Greece. And we've talked about it, and the Cypriot government has talked about it before, that this era in the Eastern Mediterranean reminds us of an early European Union, an energy source. Back then it was coal and steel. Now it's natural gas and electricity bringing a region together. The difference was, is that Turkey, perhaps the biggest player in the region, the Germany of this region, the way Germany was for the early EU, is not the 1950s Germany. It's a Weimar Germany, if not a Nazi Germany. And so Turkey has to change. And of course, there would be no EU if there was a Germany that says, well, we still want to control parts of the Czech Republic or Poland or France. So Turkey has to prove itself to be a constructive neighbor, a peaceful neighbor, and somebody interested in collaboration in that regional hegemony. Andy, thanks again. Thanks, Dano. In other news, wildfires are burning large tracts of forest and farmland in Attica and neighboring regions for the third day in a row, while another two major blazes on the island of Rhodes and near the southern town of Sparta flared up Wednesday. Despite the expected arrival of firefighters from the EU and Israel on Thursday, authorities are not optimistic that the blazes will be contained soon. 
The worst is yet to come, a government official told Kathy Marini, especially during the weekend with temperatures reaching 45 degrees Celsius. Minister of State Aki Scherzo said in a radio interview Wednesday that the government planned to spend 2 billion euros on equipment for the fire service. Finally, Nexans said on Wednesday it has won a contract worth 1.43 billion euros for the section of the Euro-Asia interconnector that will connect Greece and Cyprus. Subsea cables will be manufactured at Nexans facilities in Halden in Norway and Futsu in Japan. The EU-funded interconnector will deliver up to 2,000 megawatts of energy to Europe and be the largest interconnector project in history, the group said in a statement. In October, Cyprus and Greece inaugurated the construction phase of the EuroAsia interconnector, seen as a key infrastructure project strengthening the EU's energy security by linking Cyprus to the EU's electricity grid and contributing to the bloc's decarbonization objectives. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.